If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I'm going to invite you to go back to John chapter 10 with me this morning. God's Holy Spirit allows times, I think, such as this, where our passage dovetails so beautifully with the fact that it's the first Sunday of November and we're going to do communion together because this passage just screams out to us to think about communion. We've sung some beautiful songs. It's been a real joy for me to hear you sing. I I really have to tell you, as much as I love singing, I love to sing with the praise team, I love to hear the instrumentalists do what God has gifted them to do, but nothing gives me greater joy than when I hear a group of people just lift up their voices and sing to God. Probably outside of Psalm 23 is a passage that is often quoted at funerals and different things like that, and maybe even the great operatic version of that psalm in song, few songs stand out like this one. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. I don't know if there's any of you in this room that doesn't know those familiar words. What you might not know is that William Bradbury was the one who actually made this song famous some years, almost 30 years after it was written, in 1862 when he added the tune to it and he added the refrain that we love so much, yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. It was also William Bradbury that would later add this verse. Jesus loves me, he who died, heaven's gate to open wide. He will wash away my sin and let his little child come in. We all know this song. I love this song. I have a hard time emotionally with this song. This is the song I sang to all three of my children minutes after they were born. Debbie had a C-section for all of our kids, and so the children were born, and when they were cleaned up, they were all given to me, and Debbie was whisked off to recovery. And I had that first 45 minutes to 90 minutes with each of my kids. And I did the same thing with all three of them which as I prayed the Lord's Prayer over them, I sang, Jesus loves me to them, and I promised that by God's strength, I would be a good dad. And this hymn has meant so much to me. I don't know about you, but in John chapter 10, verses 14 to 21, we're going to look at the idea that Jesus is the good shepherd, and he's the shepherd who loves And knows you. I don't know about you, but I I really struggle to understand or even express the love of God for myself or for you. I struggle to fathom it. I, I struggle to know how to explain it. I can't trace the reasonings of such love. I can only stand here before you and tell you honestly, I believe in the love of Jesus and I try my very best to respond to it rejoicingly. And that's what we can do because that's what David did. 
All of the Psalms is this. In Psalm 116 verse 12, David said, How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? And you know what his answer was? I will lift up the cup of salvation. That is, I will believe God concerning his offer of salvation. And I'll call upon the name of the Lord. That is, I'll praise him for it. And so for today, as we come on this first Sunday of November of 2019, I want to spend just a few brief moments getting us ready to come to the table of the Lord. But every one of you here, every, from the youngest to the oldest, every man and woman, boy and girl, you've got to be like David. You've got to remind yourselves of Scripture. We've got to obey Paul today and bring our songs and our hymns and our spiritual songs because the love of God is far greater than anything that you and I could ever tell. O love of God, the song says, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. So here we are, John chapter 10. Jesus is going to clue up his dialogue with the Pharisees. He's going to be finishing up his dialogue of that man that we all talked about back in chapter 9 who was born blind. The disciples are there, the crowd is there, the onlookers are there. And John, the disciple, has given us this sixth sign so far of seven. Chapter 11 gives us the seventh one. And chapter uh, 17 will give us that great eighth one, which is the resurrection of Jesus. But after all these signs... He then gives us in our passage the third and fourth I am statements. John writes his gospel and gives seven specific signs and seven specific statements that Jesus does and uses. And of course you all know this, John is the writer of this gospel, the disciple, the beloved disciple. And he got very specific reasons for using this. Remember, I've said this over and over again, John chapter 20 verse 30 Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, and they're not written in this book. But these are written, the man born blind, and all of these were written, that he is the the door and he is the good shepherd. These have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Notice this, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, this makes me laugh. Every time I prepare another sermon out of John 10, I know I'm going to quote these two verses. And I know some of you are like, yes, Steve, we get it. We know that those are the two verses at the end of the book. Well, you know what? My goal is by the end of it, you'll know why John wrote this gospel. And you'll be able to quote these two verses for the rest of your lives. But here we are, November 3rd, 2019. This is our communion Sunday. It's when we as a church family put aside this Sunday. We celebrate and we remember. We think about and we contemplate the great reality that Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. I believe that John the Apostle has taken us on quite a journey through John chapter 9 and 10. 
If you read those two chapters again sometime maybe to this afternoon or this week, you'll notice there's high highs and low lows, but all along Jesus is present. And whether he's being questioned or attacked, whether he's being threatened or doubted, whether he's being come to or pleaded with, Jesus keeps doing these wondrous works and proclaiming wondrous things. But ultimately, Jesus tells us the truth about his love for us. And I ask you, why is that important? Why should I, why should you think about and ponder and come to grips with the love of Jesus? Well, here's my big idea for today. Because the love of Jesus, it's the greatest truth in Scripture, and it's what Satan attacks the most. Hear me, I believe this. The older I get, this becomes more real to me. I believe the love of Jesus is the greatest truth in all the Bible. And I also think it's what Satan attacks the most. All the way back in Genesis, Satan attacks Eve to try and get Eve to doubt God. Have God said. He tries to get Adam to think that God wouldn't love the way he said he would. Where Adam actually chooses disobedience and Eve over God, and I believe a self-protectionism, because he's doubting the love of God. But how often do you and I doubt the love of God? How often does Satan try to get us to doubt God's love? How often do we wrestle with, maybe God is either lying to us or holding back? How often do you and I believe the attack of Satan when we struggle or we're afraid and we don't believe? There's no way that God could be that patient. There's no way that God would hear me and honestly be with me even though I struggle and I fail over and over and over again. When life is hard, when you've experienced setbacks and hurts, when unexpected illnesses come into your life or those whom you love, What about the very real reality sometimes you don't get that raise at work or you're passed over for that promotion or for those of you in school and university, you don't get that A in school. When your spouse doesn't love you the way you'd like or your family isn't functioning how you'd hoped. How about when church is hard and people aren't easy to get along with? Maybe for some of you this morning, you've doubted the love of God because you've experienced abuse. Or you've suffered from pain or depression or anxiety. Maybe you doubt the love of God when money's tight or friendships seem low. You're tired or you're scared or you're angry. Why is it that so often our first reaction to these types of situations is to actually wonder, does Jesus love me? Did you know even the very song itself, Jesus Loves Me, it might amaze you if you knew who wrote it. The writer of this little uh, hymn was Anna Bartlett Werner. She lived around 1860 or so, and the lyrics appeared first in a novel she wrote. The context of the little story she wrote was that this poem was used by a Sunday school teacher named Mr. Linden as he quotes them to a dying child to comfort the child into heaven. What you might not know is that Anna and her sister lived their entire lives. They never married. They simply taught Bible classes at the West Point Academy because their uncle there was the chaplain. They lived and died simply trusting in the love of Jesus. They were adored by the cadets of which President Eisenhower was one of their pupils. 
And to this day, Anna and her sister are the only two civilians buried in the Cemetery of Honor at West Point Academy. Jesus loves me. This I know. Let's look at John chapter 10 and see if you can hear these words. Was John tells us what Jesus said to this audience of his outside the temple. The blind man that was now made to see is there and he's been kicked out of the temple. And he says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Verse 15, just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. And so there will be one flock, one shepherd. Verse 17, for this reason, the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. I love these words. No one takes it from me, Jesus says, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Now notice the reaction. Verse 19, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. And many of them said, he is a demon. He's insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. And here's the rationale. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. I want to give you five little principles as we run into the table of the Lord. Here's what I want you to take into our commemorating of communion today. Number one, Jesus loves us so much, he knows us like God knows him and he knows God. I want you to let the words of that, because that's a bit of a tongue twister. Jesus loves you so much. He knows you and I just like God knows him, and he knows God. I want you to let that reality soak in. Jesus is declaring in verse 14 and 15 something that the blind man who now sees the disciples who are there, listen to me, he says, the intimacy of the sheep-shepherd relationship I'm talking about is grounded in the intimacy between the Father and the Son of the Trinity. J.C. Ryle summarizes this so well, he says, Christ knows all his believing people, their names, their families, their dwelling places, their circumstances, their private history, their experience, their trials. With all these things, Jesus is perfectly acquainted. There is not a thing about the least and lowest of them with which he is not familiar. The children of this world may not know Christians and may not count their lives folly, but the good shepherd knows them thoroughly and wonderful to say, Though he knows them, does not despise them. Now, you may not realize it, but every one of you in this room knows how this feels. Or you've wrestled with the feeling of it. We long to be known. Oh, that someone would know me. And yet, let's be honest, we're a little uncomfortable because we're a bit of afraid of it. 
We long, oh, if my husband only knew me, only if my wife knew me. We, we, we want our kids and our parents and our friends to know us, but how often does it turn out that we know stuff only to be blindsided by what we find out we don't know or sometimes wish I didn't know? I want to be known, yet it terrifies me what I can feel and what I can think. And what I can want. I experienced this this week. I shared this rather funny with Scott and Lori this week. My wife was, I think, a little bit embarrassed by me. We had Halloween on Thursday and we had done some things for a couple of hours and and we decided that Deb and I would go because the, the grandkids were out seeing great-grandparents and stuff. So Deb and I thought we'd go for supper. So we put the big silver bowl of candy out on the veranda and we put bags of chips. And then Debbie put this beautiful sign that said, you know, take one and help yourself. And, that, and the time it took her to do that, shut the door. And for us to walk around, open the garage door to get in the van, four teenage boys attacked our veranda. And emptied us out of everything. And I walked in on it mid-crime. And they all looked at me and froze. And I went, hey! And then they bolted and laughed at me as they ran away and said, we left you some. And they left a box of Smarties. And three bags of chips. I am embarrassed And I don't want you to know what I felt in that moment. The things that I wanted to do to those four teenage boys. It took me an hour to get over it. My wife had to talk me off a ledge. Just had to take me for supper and babysit me in my emotions. And yet God knows every thought. God knows me, just as God knows Jesus. His spirit indwells me. There's nothing I can hide from him. I am fully known by Jesus, and yet he loves me. I don't have to hide or pretend. How would this have soothed the heart and the hurt of the man born blind, who is now seeing and experiencing rejection? What a glorious invitation to the crowd. What a condemnation to the religious. I know you, Jesus says, the way the Father knows me. Do you honestly understand that? We use this verse in our call to confession, Romans 5, 8. But God directed, he commended, he pointed his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Can I ask you, do you live your life that way? This table before us is our monthly reminder and our declaration. Jesus knows me, and I don't have to be afraid. He knows what you're going through right now. He knows what thoughts run through your mind. Jesus knows nothing is hidden from him. If you get a chance this afternoon or this week, read Psalm 139. You cannot hide anything from him, and yet God loves you. Jesus knows me. The Spirit knows me. The Trinity cares for me. But wait, look at what he says next. Because Jesus loves us so much that he gives up his life for us. Look at verse 17. I lay down my life for my sheep. Can you imagine what hearing this would have been like to the man born blind? He's just been kicked out of the temple. Jesus healed him. He's worshipped Jesus. And now Jesus says, hey, I love you so much. 
I'll care for your greatest need. Now you thought it was your sight, but that's not it. It's actually your sin. If you want to know where this is really unpacked, it's in Mark and Luke. Remember that great example of the guy that was paralyzed and his four friends that were trying to get him to Jesus and they couldn't because of the crowd? So they go up on the roof of a house, they break up the roof, and they lower the guy down through the roof so he can have an audience with Jesus. Luke tells us, and when they saw their faith, that's Jesus, he said to the man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, don't miss that. They're not saying that out loud. They're saying that privately. And he knows them. And he says, Why do you question in your hearts? And then he says, Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? Now notice, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up and before them, and picked up what he had been lying on, and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God, and they were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Jesus loves me. This I know. How do you think the conversation goes between Jesus and a sheep? What would you say to him when you're struggling? What? Love sheep. Do you mean to say that you really love sheep, Jesus? And that you love them enough to die for them? I want you to hear Jesus say, yes, that's right. I really do love them. I love you. And you're tempted to go, but they're just sheep and sinful sheep at that. And we would understand if you would say that you felt pity for them or that you hated or you were even grieved to see them torn by wild animals or scattered But surely you would not go so far as to give your life for these poor, silly creatures. Your love cannot be as great or as strong as that. And Jesus says, but it is. I do love them. I love you. Me? Me with all my sin? Yes, says Jesus. You are the one. I love you. I died for you. I want you to have real joy and real peace and true happiness and to know what it means to be a useful sheep in my flock. To live an abundant life for my glory and your good. Past Thursday was October 31st. Many of you know it as Halloween. But if you know your Bible at all, you also know it's, or sorry, if you know church history at all, you also know that it was Reformation Day. October 31st, the day that Martin Luther nailed his 95 thesis on the day of worms. And Martin Luther was far from perfect and he knew it. But I'll tell you what, he for sure knew what the love of Jesus means. Here's what he said, Christ died for me. He has made his righteousness mine and made my sin his own. And if he made my sin his own, then I do not have it and I am free. Isn't that amazing? I'm free. Free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. Do you live your life like this? Do you bring your good days and your bad days to Jesus like this? Jesus has said three times, I laid down my life for my sheep. God was born to die. 
In eight weeks, we're going to celebrate Christmas. He was born to die. But now look at the passage. Number three, God loves us so much that he loves others too. Look at verse 16. He says in verse 16, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Jesus promises not just to love you. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. Jesus loves me, this I know, and I know he loves my spouse and my kids. He loves my parents and my neighbor. He loves my aunt and my uncle or my cousin. He loves my brother or my sister. He loves that hard boss or that over-demanding teacher. He loves those students who laugh at me or that prof who looks down at me. Jesus loves me and loves others. It fuels my prayer. It helps me sleep at night. Oh, and by the way, if Jesus loves me, then that means Jesus loves that person who betrayed you. So that you can give to them or to him or to that person and not carry that burden yourself. Stop and consider what Jesus is saying here. Jesus says, I have other sheep and I will go get them and they will hear me and I will bring them together. Do you see it? That's the hope for the power of the gospel. Jesus knows you and I like the Father knows the Son and the Son knows the Father. Now listen, here's a big term, okay? Our God is omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent. Now these are three big words. Here's what they mean. Jesus is everywhere, all the time, past, present, and future. Jesus knows Everything, past, present, and future of everyone in every time. And Jesus is all-powerful. He owns everything. He controls everything. He can do anything. So is there not one of you that can bring a request to him that he can't answer? He loves you that much. So you can pray and you can witness and you'll do it again and again and again and you'll trust the love of Jesus in your life and then trust the love of Jesus in and on the lives of those whom you care about no matter how bad it seems like they're rejecting right now. Jesus loves you and Jesus loves them. You gotta trust him, not yourself. You gotta trust his timeline, not yours. You gotta trust his ways, not yours. The proof of this claim is found In Acts chapter 10, when Jesus tells Peter to go and include the Gentiles in Cornelius, in Ephesians chapter 3 and Galatians chapter 3, when he brought all them together, and it's fully explained in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, when we're told that God's kingdom comes together and there are people from every tribe and nation and kindred and tongue, and we're all there, and it's all talked about in the future as if it's already happened. Jesus loves you, this I know. But look, there's more. Jesus loves us so much that he will rise again for us. Look at verse 17. Look at verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, now notice, that I may take it up again. Don Carson makes this valuable point. He says, Jesus lays down his life in order to take it up again. So Jesus' sacrificial death was not an end in of itself, and his as resurrection was like an afterthought. His death was with resurrection in view. 
He died in order to rise. And by his rising to proceed toward his ultimate glorification and the pouring out of his spirit. So here not only Jesus' disciples before the cross, but any who are interested in becoming Christians after this event must understand that looking at the crucifixion from God's perspective assures us that no part of it took place outside of God's plan. That's why Jesus seems to connect the cross and the resurrection so closely. He was born to die, yes, in order to rise again. Notice he says, the Father loves me because I lay my life down, that or in order that I will take it up again. This tells us something profound. It's the reason that I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 11. And what does Paul say? We proclaim the Lord's death. Now listen. Till he comes. Why? Because he rose again. You see, the cross from the beginning was more about life than about death. This is why so much of John's gospel refers to salvation as being about life. Remember in John 20 that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. He told the woman at the well that she'd have abundant life. In John 3.16, we have eternal life. In John 6, we're told we'll have joyful life. In John 7, we're told we'll have hope-filled life, which brings me with my last principle. Jesus loves us so much that he will obey God for us. Look at verse 18. This is the verse... That's the hammer blow to Satan, to sin, and to self. He says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord, and I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus boldly proclaims the mystery of the gospel, the plan all along. The purpose of your existence is to know God. And I am God in the flesh, he says. I have come to do my Father's will that I received from him that that I do of my own because I am him. Jesus died for us to bear the righteous wrath of God. Jesus rose for us to show that life was now possible again. That's Genesis 3.15 was accomplished when, when he said to Eve that Satan will come and he said, he will bruise his heel, but the one that will come will crush his head. But never miss this. Jesus loves us so much, he lived for you. That is, he obeyed. Notice in verse 18, this charge I received from my father. Jesus obeyed. But Jesus is also and always in complete control. So Why? Jesus didn't simply die, or even at all, by necessity. But more accurately and more importantly, listen to me, out of love. This is the absolute claim of Jesus. And this is why verses 18 and 19 give us the response it does. Two groups. Look at 19 and 20 and 21. One group rejects him. This man is demon-possessed and insane. Another group, amazed curiosity. Who could say this and do the things that he does if he was possessed by a demon? But there is a third group. There's the man who was born blind. There's the disciples and no doubt others. They believed in the door 
and the good shepherd. They trusted in the good shepherd. They put their faith in the good shepherd. Those who acknowledged they heard the voice of Jesus. Charles Spurgeon writes, you will never know the fullness of Christ until you know the emptiness of everything else but Christ. So look at this table set before us. Jesus proclaims, even in my death, the death I lay down, which will happen a few weeks from now in this presence, which we now look back on with over 2,000 years of perspective. And notice, Jesus isn't passive. No one killed him. I'll talk about this next week. No one, neither Satan, nor sin, nor self. Jesus took Jesus' life. He lays it down. It's based always and only on his authority. Jesus is actually the initiator of this. In just over a month, we're going to begin our Christmas series. We've called it a Christmas family tree. We're going to walk through the life of Judah and Rahab and Ruth and David and culminate on Christmas Eve with Jesus. And you need to know, Jesus lovingly came to lovingly die and lovingly rise again. You see, for a good shepherd, not a hired hand, the true shepherd, he gladly, willingly faces death. And what's more is death is actually the means by which he'll save his sheep. And so Jesus lays down his life. And so I ask you this morning, do you know that Jesus loves you? Do you know that Jesus loves you? Oh, do you know that Jesus loves you? Because the Bible really does tell you so. Do you know that Jesus loves you? That he loves you still? Do you believe he sits on his throne and on him watches over you where you lie? Do you know that Jesus loves you? That he will stay close beside you even when you try to run away? Do you believe in him like a child, hoping, coming, asking for Jesus' sake? Do you know that Jesus loves you? Do you know that he died to live so that you can die to self and live to him do you know that you that God will accept you now because of him? Not be what you do, but for all that he has done. This is what we take into communion. Now I'm pleading with you here this morning, if you don't know Christ, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But I'm also appealing to some of you here, and you're like me, and you're coming to the table and you're singing Jesus loves me from memory or nostalgia. But are you doing it from experience and peace? Are you bringing the gospel to bear in your life and whatever's going on in your life over and over and over again? When I was talking about this sermon with the staff earlier this week, Matt Leahy asked me, you know, Steve, sometimes I find it difficult. He said, because God is... I can't see him and I can't hear him and I don't know, you know, I just, I don't know how to know that he loves me. And I I looked at Matt and I said, Matt, what does it take? I, I mean, imagine, now think about if those of you that are married, when I go to Debbie and I say to Debbie, Debbie, do you love me? How do I know that you love me? What do you think she does? Do you think that Debbie looks at me and just kind of borrows her eyebrows and stares really hard at me and hopefully by osmosis, it'll enter my brain that she loves me? And see, women laughed at that. Did you notice that? No, you know what she does? She uses words. She reminds me of the way that she's been present in my life, of the way she's cared for me. For those of you that are parents, when your child, your son or daughter says, Mommy or Daddy, do you love me? 
What is your answer? It's more than just yes. It's yes followed by hugs and kisses. And it's involved with reminders of when they were born and of sickness and meals made and bedside tuck-ins. So when you might ask, does Jesus loves me? This I know for the Bible tells me so. Jesus says, what does it take? I gave you my word. I tell you all about me. I let you pray to me. I've given you all of creation to enjoy. I am present with you all the time. And that's why that old hymn says, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. So friends, Calvary, as we come to the table of the Lord, do you know Jesus? Have you come to the good shepherd? Church, are you remembering what a good shepherd you've got? So this morning, would you come to the green pastures and still waters where you lack nothing, where the good shepherd is ready with a table prepared and let goodness and mercy follow you? And dwell in his house. Because he loves you. I'm going to ask our elders to come forward as I pray. Let's bow in prayer. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity now to worship you together. Lord, I pray that we'll live out what I've tried so hard. To let my brothers and sisters here know that God loves them. That you love them. Oh God, help us. To allow your love, the sacrifice, the way you've cared for us, the way you never get tired of us, you're never bored, you never get angry or agitated because we come and we constantly have to admit, I screwed up, I need more help, I need more love, I need more mercy, I need more grace. Lord, also help this love of God change us into your image and change the way we function as a church. So Lord, we give this time to you now in Jesus' name, amen.